You're listening to the Retro Guardians. Okay, now what? Buckle up. Have you ever bought or rented a videotape that wasn't quite right? <laughs> Groovy. Little Hand says it's time to rock and roll. Bring the noise. Hasta la vista, baby. Retro Guardians. Hi, welcome to this week's Retro Guardians. I'm Ben. I'm Jay, and happy to uh, be presenting another episode to you all this week. So, Jay, I thought we'd go back into the 80s a bit, and I thought we might tackle an action film. Now, I'm pretty mm. sure you may have not heard of this film. That's why I thought I'd go with something different this week. Well, I love 80s action, you know me. What have you got for I us? Know. Well... Just a little on a side note, uh, I didn't know this till much later, but we actually, in our hometown, grew up in, there's actually a filmmaker that grew up there too. Ah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. I did not discover this it until his film, The Philip Bone Noyce, Collector. wouldn't it? Sorry? Philip Noyce. Yes. Yeah. Well... He um, had done a string of very successful Australian films since the late 70s. Mm. I think uh, News uh, Newsfront was sort of his big one, yep. which is late 70s. Then he did one called Heatwave in the in the very early 80s. Well, in 88, I believe, he tackled his first American film. And subsequently, he would go on to work pretty consistently up until the early mid-2000s. Um, and this film, I, I won't lie, it was on TV a fair bit when we were growing up. That's why okay. I remember it pretty uh, pretty consistently. Mm. And it's the one and only Blind Fury. Well, I don't believe I've ever seen this, Ben. Um, you told me about it and I'm like, well, I've never heard of it. So I'm only sort of going by what I've read about it on Wikipedia. But apart from that, nothing. Well, the reason it stands out to me is one name only. And that's the one and only late great Ruka Hauer. Uh, most people would know him because of Bl uh, Blade Runner. I have no doubt in my mind oh. that's the main film most people knew him from from the early eighties. Yeah, I think I know exactly uh, who you're talking about. Sorry, I think I know who you're talking about. Yep, yep. Yeah. And um, he'd done very early before that year before he did. Uh, 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 I think it was Nighthawks with mm -hmm. Stallone in, in New York, also featuring. Um, uh, Billy D. Williams. Yep. He had come out of uh, uh, Holland and done some very successful films over there with um, Paul Verhoeven, who yep. had gone to direct Robocop and Total Recall. And um, I believe he said in an interview this is one of his hardest, the hardest movies he ever worked on because essentially he's playing a blind character. Right, yep. And he had to learn how not to react with his eyes. He had to yeah. rely heavily on his on his sound and stuff. But also, this is a sword-wielding blind man. Okay. Now, they were the big rage at one point in, in Japan. There were a lot of samurai movies with blind samurai superheroes Heaps. sort of characters. Yep. And Tim Madison, who is a, was an actor in the late 70s up until even recently, most famous for being in films like Animal House, Tim wanted to adapt this kind of story into an American film, but he could not find any studio that was interested in doing this. 
And it took a very long time for him to do that. And I believe it was the mid-80s that he finally got TriStar interested. And somehow, along the lines, they were able to get Philip interested, and Philip actually wanted to do it. So just a, a couple of quick things. Um, the film begins in Vietnam in the late uh, 60s. We're introduced to this character, Nick Parker, and when we introduce to him, he's actually in the middle of a swamp, sort of sticking his knife in the ground, and we realise he's just been blinded. Right. We don't know how he's been blinded, but we know it's happened. Was that in war, was it? Or? Yeah, yeah. Like, okay. And he's only got on him is a, is a survival knife, nothing else. Right. And he's trying to feel his way. You could hear the desperation in him. He doesn't know where he is. He's calling out to his friend. Yep. Unfortunately, uh, uh, his friend uh, Frank Devereaux, played by Terry O'Quinn. And Terry was another great character actor. Terry's still with us now. I think most people would know him nowadays for the series uh, Lost. But oh, yeah. I knew him for this film and a subsequent film he did just before this called Stepfather, which is a really good thriller. It's actually one I'd like to watch with you at some point, Jay, and we could do a review on that one as well. Okay. And Terry had been in the X-Files movie and he'd done a lot of sort of serious sort of like he's politician or a cop or he's things like that. He's always been those kind of characters. Yep. Um, but just a good solid actor. So this character of Nick Parker, he's in the swamp. He can't see anything. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know where anyone is. He's calling out to his friend, and suddenly he's caught in a trap. And then when we find him, it's actually natives uh, who have found him, and they're helping him, and they've got his eyes uh, sort of like handmade sort of vine bandages around his eyes. Yep. And there's a little guy that we really don't get to see or know what he he's doing, but he starts to teach him how to use his his hearing. Now, we can't oh. understand what they're saying, and he can't either, but through gestures and that, he starts sort of understanding them. And there's a great scene when he starts to really heavily rely on his hearing. Yeah. And that's a really great scene. The one thing about this film they do really well is show us how he relies on his other senses. Mm. And um, this character that's, let's just say it's a mentor-sensei kind of character, is a swordsman. Now, there's a great scene where a girl throws a melon in the air and he chops it into four quarters. Now, Nick's sitting over to the side and they're coming up to him and giving him things and he's feeling them and he's like, melon, or he'd say something else. And then they bring him over, put the sword in his hand, make him do it, and he doesn't move. Okay. And then the little guy starts to teach him everything with a sword and how to utilise his environment and things like that. And then by the end of it, they throw the melon up and he does it four times, you know, cuts it so fast. And that's uh, like 1969. And then cuts to present-day Florida, which is 1989. Mm -hmm. And um, he's walking down the side of a highway. Uh, now, the one thing they really play on well with this movie is the humour, Jay. They really utilise that really well with him. Yep, yep. So there's a great scene where he's walking and he's got the stick out feeling his way and you know, he feels a a, a um, Coke can and knocks it out of the way. He smells. We suddenly he flies so he knows there's dog shit in front of him. <laughs> but then he comes up to an alligator and he feels around the alligator. He's like, uh, nice doggy. He yeah, climbs right. over and walks off. So they really use the humor well. He goes into a bar when he uh, like a like a truck stop to get something to eat and a guy notices he's blind and deliberately puts hot ketchup on his food 
Oh. And he starts, yeah, cry, almost, you know, oh, blah, 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 kind of thing. Mm. Well, then this guy's with a gang and they sort of bully a girl and they get her bag off her and it knocks over to him and he picks it up and he's like, hand it over, S.A. And he pulls out, a, this guy pulls out a switchblade and he's like, come and get it. Yep. And he comes over and they knock him and he, he starts playing the blind man act, but he actually knocks them all down while he's doing that. And he, he's really much puts that on thick that everyone thinks he's an invalid, but he's actually actually very intelligent and knows how to uh, handle himself. Yeah, yep. We then cut to Nevada, Remo, Nevada, where Frank Devereaux, his friend, is now a very master chemist and he's been hung off the top of a, a skyrise building by the local casino owner, a very infamous man, uh, I think McCrady is his name, and um, it's played, Claude McCrady, played by no, Noby Whittingham. Noby was in um, the Chuck Norris show Walker, Texas Ranger in the 90s. That's what, what he's most famous for. Mm. Done a lot of character stuff, Jay. He was also in The Howling, was one of the main guys in that at the um, at the lodge. Uh, so if yeah. I showed you that movie, I could point him out to you now and you'd know who he was. Mm. And um, he's got a heap of uh, side character henchmen types. Uh, most obviously is Slag, played by the one and only Randall Tex Cobb. He was most famous for being in uh, the Coen Brothers uh, Raising Arizona, which was the year before. He's like a big six-foot-something guy, looked like a sort of like an ox kind of guy. He's always these thug characters. Mm. I think he was even in like Married with Children for an episode like that. Okay. And uh, MacGyver and a few other shows I remember him in. And he always played the humor really well, this guy. But he's got these two other sort of sidekick henchmen and their brothers Lyle and Hector, uh, Hector Pike and they're played by Nick Cassavetes and Rick Overton Nick has since become a director much following his favourite father's footsteps John Cassavetes and Rick Overton he was a comic actor he was always popping up and stuff I think he was in Willow for a while, in one major role one of the brownies I remember seeing him as Deputy Pete in um, Eight-Legged Freaks which he stole the show and he was so funny in that and yep. I think I even seen it in an episode of Grimm recently, so he's still around. Okay. And then there's a couple of other characters that sort of we, we, we see pretty regularly and that um, they inform uh, Mr. Devereaux that he owes big debts downstairs in the, um, in the casino, which the casino is rigged, by the way. So they tell him unless that he works for them for pretty much to pay his debt back, he's screwed. And it's essentially, it's a new designer drug they want him to create. They have the chemicals. And then they say, if you don't do what we say, we hear that your ex-wife and son are living in Florida. We might pay him the visit. Uh-oh. Then we cut to Florida. And um, it's um, we see Nick walking up the street, and he's sort of feeling house numbers at the front of a house. And in the case of his ex-wife, she's still got the Devereaux at the front, and he feels that. And then we're introduced to Billy, played by... Um, it's, I think it was Brandon Call, who I actually saw for the first time in Warlock, Jay. He's the boy that um, we mentioned in the Warlock episode that um, the Warlock kills to make the flying potion from. Okay. Yeah, with a football. That's actually the same boy. And um, he's making like a, like a plasticine dinosaur, and he sneezes, and it knocks out the window, but um, Nick actually catches it. You know, it's that whole Zen thing about... You know, the other senses he, he can catch and feel and, you know, he, and he catches it. 
And he knocks on the front door and asks for um, Frank, and he, she's told, oh, he no longer lives here, or my name's Nick Parker. And she lets him in and says, oh, I'm, I'm his ex-wife. And he comes in, and his ex-wife's played by um, the unique Megan Foster, now or Meg Foster. Meg had this very distinct eyes, Jay. She was in They Live. She was in Masters of the Universe. I believe she worked with Terry again uh they didn't have a scene together in this movie, but she worked with him in The Second Stepfather, which I mentioned earlier. He was in those. And she just always had a cool demeanor about her. Like she cool and calm and collected kind of lady, always in her, in, in, in those early day movies. And she lets uh, Nick in and Billy comes out and uh, she, he hands the, uh, and says his name and she's like, how do you know his name? And he's like, dinosaur he signed it good work by the way and she goes he goes mom this guy's and she puts the hand over his mouth he goes yes sight impaired and he she he goes not to mention blind as a bat and then she goes she goes i'll go make some tea and then he comes out and goes right up to nick and he's like hi hi mr parker it's so nice to meet you mr parker while he's doing this jay's actually giving him the bird and nick actually grabs the finger so how long was it since he lost his sight until he's years. gone back? 20 years. So, so he's had 20 years to develop moment, these extra senses. So the next moment, he's actually pouring tea and not missing the cup. And she's like, Nick Parker, your name's on the Moor Memorial in the, in the square. And he goes, I know, I was just there. And he said, I was missing in action wow. for a long time. Okay. So that sort of it, – it does get explained, which is good. But we don't know how long it's been since he's been back in America. Now, when we see him walking along the road in the earlier scene, he's actually got a backpack. He's got a a umbrella, and he's even got a Walkman on him, Jade, so he can listen to the weather reports. So, I mean, you know, this guy's prepared. Yeah, anyway, it sounds like he's, he's had a long time a to – Fine tune. He's found like he's had sort of a long time to fine tune all these skills, you know? Yes. And so the next bit is absolutely one of the best sequences in the movie. So while he's talking to her, he says, expecting anyone? She goes, no, why? Um, there's someone at the door. And there's a knock at the door and suddenly two police officers burst in saying they're trying to looking for her son because he was a witness to something. And she says, well, he hasn't left the house all day. And then suddenly we hear a distinctive voice come in third and it's the said bad guy slag. And when Billy comes in, they knock her to the ground and slag actually has a shotgun underneath his coat and pulls it out and goes to shoot like a shot off, but he actually hits the mother and they knock Billy down and Nick helps her down and can hear that she's breathing heavily. And then Nick suddenly reaches for the cane and we realize there's actually a sword inside the cane. We actually see the blade. And they, uh, he said, the slag talks to the two cops and we find out they're both bent. And he says, step aside, blind man. He's like, no. And then one of them pulls out a Beretta and goes to cock it. And he can hear it all. He can hear everything that's happening. So as he cocks the Beretta, he actually pulls the sword out and chops his hand off. And while doing this, he actually slices slag's arm and then runs into one of the other rooms. And the other policeman follows in. And Nick's actually hiding behind a plant, a big, long plant. He comes out and he switches the sword. And to show how good he is, the cop, the other one falls down dead. 
but the nearby bookcase actually falls to bits and so does the head off the nearest statue. So that's how good he is, Jay. Like a ninja. Very much so. More like, not so much just a ninja, more like a samurai. He's got honour, he's got belief. And he walks back into the room and he knows the back, slag is there and he swings something at slag's head. Slag swings something at his head, but he misses him. And then the other cop comes from behind and he stabs him. Then Slag tries to jump over the other side of the room to grab the shotgun off the chair and he jumps across it and actually slices the legs off the chair and it flips over. And then he slices off the cigar he's got in his mouth and he goes, that's not bad for a blind man, but that butter knife ain't going to stop no bullet. And he jumps out the window. He finds the mother and she tells him to take Billy to his father. And you suddenly see him carrying him down the street while hitting the um, the stick against the pavements to know where he is, and then he walks into the bus station. He doesn't want to go, but he says, I'm taking you to your father. He goes, oh, my father doesn't want me. He goes, yes, he does. He's your father. And then they go on a bus trip. Now, I know for a fact they shot this movie basically in the Midwest sort of during the hot period of the year, so I heard that this film was very hard to shoot for everyone because it was so bloody hot. So I was just reading before on Wikipedia that they actually had to make the cast and crew uh, a swimming pool. So when everyone was buggered, they could just go climb in the pool for a little bit. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Oh, yeah. But I'm just thinking about Florida and that in general. I thought, Jesus, that has to be a hot place to shoot, you know, so those areas. So they're on the bus for a couple of days. Uh, Billy takes his wallet out, and we find that he's actually got a photo in his wallet of him and his father, and he's like, is that... Was, what was this when you had your sight? Yes, it was. Now hand it back. Wait a minute. You've got your sight there? He goes, yes, I do. And he explains that he was in Vietnam with his dad. And he, he said, I, I, he kept me alive and I kept him at the stockade. He said, your dad used to scare us shitless. He was always messing around with explosives. And then we were partying. And then on that last night, we were hit by a surprise attack. And I, me and your father were called out to be the head scouts, and that's where I lost my sight. We realised, Jay, a bomb went off in front of him, and that's how he lost his sight. And it's very, uh, uh, very uh, traumatic sort of mm. situation. Even in the film, they film it really well. Like in slow-mo, you see the explosion go off, and you're just like, he's right in front of it. Yeah. So yep. there's no like- way he could have come out of that unscathed. So I so guess this movie touches a on a lot of those topics, doesn't it? Like, not yeah, just the uh, war, but also what it's like to live, you know, as a person with no vision. Or disability. Even. Disability, yeah. So these this period was starting to reflect a lot more Vietnam kind of movies. Mm. I mean... Shows the aftermath, really I guess, because not many, like, there's a lot of movies that cover, you know, the war itself, but they don't show you what it's like for those that are injured to sort of, you know, get on with their life. And this guy's made them most of it, hasn't he? Like, he's adapted. Yeah, but they were still very scared to touch that for a yeah. long time. And I mean, even First Blood was still the early days of that. Apocalypse Now was, and Deer Hunter was sort of the prestige mm. version of that. Yep. So by the end of the 80s, they were sort of a bit more, okay, we don't have to tiptoe around this. We can use this as a story point. Mm. And um, they get into a fight at one of the bus stops, and then he finally has to tell him that his mother's dead. And he gets angry with him and runs into a cornfield where we discover Slag has also followed the bus with another big bag, bunch of bad guys who all look like hillbillies from um, 
the nearest sort of inbred town. Mm. And um, there's a great scene where he's in the in the cornfield and he actually he starts listening and you can tell he knows they're all there. And one of them is actually eating popcorn and you actually can tell he's around and there's a great scene where they try to sneak up on him and he actually chops all the chops them all down. And there's another great scene where the big one who's eating the popcorn's walking ahead of another little guy with a, with an Uzi and then the Uzi guy stops and then he comes out of the bushes, goes, ting, ting, shoots, and then runs behind the thing again and the other guy shoots him without realising. And um, he takes down the big guy and then Slag has actually put Billy into like a little shed and he's up on top of it using it as a sniper cover. So Nick uses a, a, a sort of scarecrow to sort of distinct where exactly he is. And this sort of – he's able to get close enough that it's it's sort of held up by sort of stakes and he knocks a couple of them down and then he falls off the roof and then Nick hits him with a, with a sword against the chest. We think he's dead for a second, but then he gets Billy and then walks off and we realise Slag's actually wearing a vest and that's the reason why, but Nick gave him a little chop to the face so he's got a bit of a scar now on his face as a result too. Okay, and then we're introduced to Frank's girlfriend, played by the one and only late, also late actress, I think Lisa Bernay. Uh, I think it's Bernay. I'm not 100% sure. Or Blau or something. Hang on, let me just check. Um, yeah, it's B-L-O-U-N-T. Okay. She was in Dead and Buried, Jay. We were watching at your place just last time I was there. She was the blonde at the start. Mm-hmm. Um, she would go on to be in John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness and this film, and I believe, sadly, she died about 15, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, she had a rare disease and she was only in her early 50s when she died. And she was actually married to a person that you liked. It was the guy that uh, from the net that played uh, the bloke at the start. I'm just trying to remember. Ray McKinnon. She used to be, she was married to Ray up until she died. Okay. Yeah. I always remember her for this film. And then, like I said, I realized that was her in Dead and Buried and also in Prince of Darkness. But I always remember her. And her hair changed in each movie, but she was a blonde for some. She was a redhead for another. And in this movie, she's actually playing a likable lady. And uh, she wears glasses in this film. Well, when they turn up at her place, the two brothers that I mentioned earlier, the, the, that the, the Pikes, they knock Nick out, tie him up, throw him in the back of their van and Billy and take the sword off them and drive off. Nick's able to get Billy to sort of you know, do the trick, you know, where you, you, you have to manoeuvre yourself and put your um, arms in front of you, you know, if you're tied up sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And then Nick's got a lighter and he gets in to get the lighter out and he lights up the... the the, the ropes to break for even one of them has found the sword inside the um the cane and actually cuts his finger on it and then he throws it out the window and there's a great moment when nick knows it's been thrown out and he says start counting and he does and then they set a fire in the back and when they open the back up nick kicks one of them in the nuts and then billy hits the other with the fire extinguisher and then they hit he hits him in the head with the fire extinguisher which is just funny they lock the van up uh Lisa, I think, oh, I don't know, I'm trying to remember her first name's character. Uh, Annie, she plays Annie. They get in the front and then they both say the same thing. Who's going to drive? And she drives and they go back in the direction they came from. 
backwards. And he says, how far did you get? And he says, oh, to 100. So you count backwards. And then he gets to zero, and he's like, pull up here. We need to find something. The two brothers have waved down a elderly couple, thrown them out of the car, jumped in the car. One of the elderly couple ladies had a, a magnum in a bag, pulls it out and shoots at them. And one of them goes, yeah, this is why I believe in gun control. And I thought, you fucking idiots. <laughs> they play the comic relief, those two. They're the comic relief bad guys. They're idiots. Yeah. There's so always got to uh, be Billy those finds bumbling the crooks in every movie. Him. What's that? It's always got to be the bumbling crooks in every movie. Yeah, well, these two are over six foot. So that's the other thing I remember about them. They're both tall. <clears throat> so Billy finds his cane. They get it back. And he sees them coming, shooting, and as they're running to the van, the bullet nearly misses her, and she stops, and suddenly her glasses come off. And we find out she's short sighted; she can't see without the glasses. And of course, Nick steps on the glasses. He's like, "Hey, I think I found your glasses." And he's like, "She's like, I can't drive, I can't see." And then he runs up to the van, pushes her in, butt first, and then Billy, and he's like, "That's all right, I'm blind." He's like, "Billy, navigate." And he starts driving blind, and Billy's like, keep going straight, keep going straight. No, no, keep it keep it there. You're fine, you're fine. No, no, too far to the left. And he hits a, a, um, a uh, you know, um, one of the cars without a roof, Jay. What are they called? Um, Convertible. Yeah, an old guy with a cowboy hat in He goes, what's the matter, Jack? Are you blind or something? He's like, yeah, yeah. what's your excuse? <laughs> and the guy goes, holy shit. And then they start shooting and chase them. And he says, tell me when we get to the next intersection, this one. And he turns into a one-way street. So they're all screaming and he's laughing. He's like, yeah, it's easy. It's just like riding a bike. And then they get close enough and he knocks them and one of them hits the, another car and they keep driving. And then he says to them, are we in a tunnel? He's like, no, there's no tunnels in Reno. And they realize he's actually in a dead end that's about to end. And Billy oh, says, oh. Stop. And he hits the brakes just in time that it stops like a centimetre before the wall. <laughs> That's one of the famous, the, the, the memorable bits. Okay. He then drops, they then get a taxi to a friend of hers place. He's told where to go and told she tells him he's at the penthouse at this casino. And he says, I'll take care of it. And then she tells him how they met and that he used to come in and play blackjack with her. And that's how they got to know each other. And then... He goes in and he sits in the, in the lobby and he just listens, Jay. You just watch him listen and then he hears the main bad guy's voices. Once again, we're also introduced to another pair of bad guys, the bodyguards at the casino. We hear um, his second in charge, I, I, another old bloke. I can't remember his name. It's Mr. Cobb, I think he's called. Um, uh, and um, he then says... You know, order me up some chicken and some pudding and don't send any, no one's allowed to the penthouse. And then it's one of those early touch pads, Jay, you know, for, for like like doors and stuff on the elevator. I think it was one of the first times I saw one of those. Okay. And um, he then goes over the, the to the wheel and starts playing the, um, the gambling. He's actually doing pretty good. And... Um, it's pissing off all the locals that uh, he's winning so much. And then another weedy, weaselly-looking guy turns up with the two said bodyguards. And he changes the dice and does another bet. And then he pushes something in his, in his pocket and he loses. It's like, oh, it's not your night tonight. You must have run out of luck. And he goes, luck. 
pulls out the sword and chops his vest, and there's actually a button inside it. And then he pull, uses the sword and pulls up the the roulette wheel that's on the thing, and it realizes it's actually rigged, and it turns into a riot and a brawl. And the two brothers turn up, suddenly see everyone hitting each other, and they yell, yeah, and they jump in and start a fight. And as Nick tries to sneak away, he tries to grab all his winnings at the same time. He gets over to the door. He's able to listen to the bips, and he's able to open it up. And when he gets inside, there's already a waiter inside with a little cart and the, and the meal and everything. And he waits for the big guys to come at him, and he actually hits one of them in the nuts with the, um, with the cane and says, scram, and then closes the door. Those two guys and the two brothers try to get in the next elevator to come up, and they get in, and the door closes, and someone says, oh, great, who put push basement? They realize one of the brothers pushed the wrong button. And it cuts to the penthouse. There's two uh, the guards up there, big guys, one with an Uzi, one with a Magnum. Nick's now wearing the get-up, and they say, freeze! And they go over the, to the little cart, and they knock the cart over, and there's the waiter passed out inside it. He says, and he pulls out the, the cane and says, oh, gentlemen, I'm here to see Frank Devereaux. And they say, says who? Says I. And he drops the cane, but he uses his foot, brings the cane back up. They grab it, and then he knocks them both out by hitting the cane against their faces. He then chops the remote for the elevator so the other four are stuck in the elevator. He goes into Cobb's office, and Cobb realises this is the, the blind man that he's heard so much about. Now, earlier... In the, in the movie, when they first deal with him, that's where that famous line where McCrady says to him, get me someone that can handle him. Get me Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee is dead. Then get his brother. I don't care, Ed. Just do it, will you? That's where that scene comes from. And we go back into his office, and he pulls out a gun, and he says, I'm here to see Frank Devereaux. He said, I don't give a fuck who you are. Fuck off. Or... Nick pulls out the sword, Jay, and he chops it so close to his face, he actually chops off his um, eyebrows. <laughs> and the eyebrows are actually on his front desk on paper. Oh. And he says that line, I also do circumcisions. Oh, God. And he's like, pulls out the key. He's in the office across the room. I suggest Panadol for that headache. What <laughs> headache? And he jumps up on the desk and hits him with the cane. Goes over the across the room. Um. Frank doesn't know it's him until he actually gets a good look at it and realises this is his friend he hasn't seen in 20 years. The drug is ready and he burns the, the lab and he puts the drug into like a container and puts it in his bag. And then as they're going out into the hallway, Nick stops and listens and we hear the other four are coming up the stairways. And then Nick goes, Frank, hold the door. What? Why? And then he pulls out the sword and chops off the handle so they can't go back down the, the, the hall and the uh, stairwell, they get back to Annie's friend's place, realise she's dead, Slag's taking care of her, and they've got Annie and, and Billy. And he answers the phone, and it's like, if you want to see your kid and your woman again, you're going to meet me at my ski lodge with the drug. I'll see you in 24 hours. Bang. So they head out there. He's uh, he's still an amateur explosives expert, so he's able to rig up some things. And then they're having a chat, and he asks for Nick's forgiveness for leaving him in the battlefield, and he says, you have nothing to be ashamed of. And he sort of feels responsible for Nick being blind. So they manage to get up the top. The, the lift-slash-ski-lodge uh, thing gets shot out, but when they go in there, they can't find them. They've actually gone through a bottom vent and gotten into the basement. There's a great scene when they can all, the bad guys, 
Nick and Frank get split up and then they take on Nick in open, sort of like a concert sort of slash live band area, Jay. And then someone turns the lights off and they start opening fire on everyone. And then Cobb says, you're doing your job for him. He's like, I can't see a thing. It's so dark. And you hear him go, welcome to my world. And then he takes them all out. And then Devereaux throws in homemade explosive with blinds, all of them, and they're able to take them on. They confront Slag, but Slag steps back. And so does McCready. And we discover they've hired a samurai bad guy who's just as good as Nick. And they go at it, which is really good. And then Nick's able to beat him. And they're actually fighting on a um, near a, a spar jay, which when they're fighting, an electronic current gets knocked into the water, so it's electrified. Nick knocks him into the water, and he drops the sword, and Billy goes to throw him the sword, but he misses, and the sword goes in the water, but Nick reaches out, and he fights the bad guy's sword. Slag comes in shooting, and he takes Slag on one last time, and he actually cuts him in half, and then he goes out the window, and it's like sort of in Robocop, where he splits in half and falls to his death. Also, in the meantime, Frank's taken on McCready and beaten him, and then we're cut to there. Annie, him, Frank, and Billy are on a bus about to go away, and Nick's at the back of the line. Nick throws his ticket away and walks off. Billy chases after him, and he tells him, you need to be with your dad. I, I can't be here for a while. Then suddenly he disappears. He can't find him, and he finds the dinosaur in his pocket, and he throws it down like like a bridge and we realize nick's underneath the bridge and nick grabs the dinosaur the bus pulls up his dad gets out he tells his dad what he happened he said he needs to be on his own for a while he'll find us when he's ready gets in the bus nick hears him drive off he puts on sunglasses while he's crying and early in the movie he told billy he couldn't cry anymore which he does he's got a broken arm and we see the dinosaurs actually in the sling and you just see him walk off into the sunset which is how those samurai slash blind man movies used to always end it was these guys just walk off at the end and that's the end of the movie now it played the humor really well i really think he was perfect for this role and it was very much a movie of its day the following year philip would make dead calm which is the biggest film he made at the time with uh, sam neil nicole kidman and billy zane but this film definitely helped get his name out there especially in america Cool. So, um, what would you give it out of 10? i give it a 7. Okay, must be pretty good. Yeah, uh, I, Mr. Leonard Moulton give it 2.5. He just said it was very uneven. Mm. But I was going to say, it feels like a movie, from what you've described, it sounds like it's got lots of sections that might be a bit slow. Is that right, or is it fairly... It, there, there's, there's a great scene when they're camping, mm. when he's saved him. They actually sleep out on under in a camp area. And he's sitting there, and it's completely silent except for a wasp. And he actually chops the wasp down. And there's an old couple sitting nearby, and they said, "Did you see that?" And the mother, the lady goes, "We should get one of those, darling." You know, so they they played the jokes very obvious, but they actually worked. There are a couple of sequences where it's slow, but when the action hits Jay, it doesn't let up for a little bit. And I don't think it was a long movie either, Jay. I think it was only just over ninety minutes. Okay. So it sort of utilised that really well. So where would uh, you said you watched it not long ago? Is this on a streaming platform or is it no uh, DVD? DVD, okay. I've cool. had a copy. I had a video and DVD copies. How would you describe Philip Noyce as a director? What's his style? 
his style changed when he got into the 90s. Mm. He used to keep a very static camera. And I mean, those earlier movies, yes. But by the time he got up to the Jack Ryan movies, which was Patriot Kings and Clear and Present Danger, his mo- his camera moved all the time. I mean, the last big, big film he did was with Angelina Jolie and Liev Schreiber called Salt, which I think we both saw at the cinema together. We did, yep. That movie was moving all the time. You watch that camera, it never sits still. That was the difference. He he had a very he used cranes and stuff really well, but and he really his camera is always moving in his later movies. That's the difference I know. Even in the Bone Collector, there's a lot of movement. Yeah, I so remember we, I think we saw I the Bone Collector learned, at you know, the cinema actually, didn't we? Sorry, but we saw the Bone Collector at the cinema with our great friend Macca. Yeah, I left a bit of Macca's in your car. Pardon the pun. And you lost your mind at me because you loved having a perfectly smelling car. Yep, that sounds right. See, I do remember those. <laughs> at that time of that movie is when I discovered he he was born and grew up in our hometown. Okay, yep. Awesome. Well, I think that might wrap it up. Um, I might put that on my list. I don't know. It doesn't probably grab me as something I really want to watch in a hurry, but uh, it sounds interesting. With Rukahawa, which, by the way, he only passed away in 2019. Uh, yeah, yeah, that year. Um, he was 75 when he died. He, he'd be almost 80 now. Um, most people would say Blade Runner or Lady Hawk, especially with the American movies being introduced to him. This is the one I really remember him the most for. I've since seen more films that he's done. But when I think of him, this is the film that comes to mind for me. And I, I honestly think as well, he's not going to be an actor that'll be forgotten anytime soon. So no, no, Jay, this is definitely one I'd probably watch once a year. Okay. And I still enjoy it. And like I said, it's very much a movie of its time. Cool. Late eighties. There we have it. Well, Blind Fury. I think that's all we need to say this week. Don't you? Yeah. I Blind think so. Fury. Check it out. Awesome. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Um, I'm- Ben. I'm Jay, and we are the Retro Guardians. Have a good one. The one and only. Retro Guardians.